It is that time of the week when we welcome the three wise men from the war room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. It's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. The purveyor of great nuggets of wisdom, all at a very high price. Zane Velge, a political campaign strategist and partner at Northweather. The purveyor of absolute pearls of wisdom because he works for CTV at a very low price. CTV political <laughs> analyst and former NDP leader. Tom Mulcair. And how did that make it in there? <laughs> I don't know how it made it in there. I said, well, because, you know, you're not a political campaign strategist like Zane. And, and of course, speaking of the gold standard with the platinum prices, the man whose wisdom is always wrapped in a generosity that belies his inner wealth, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data. Uh, oh, jokes, da, da, da. jokes aside, uh, uh, I'm going to start. I want to start with Timmy because uh, your province yeah. um, has been hit. I know the prime minister's there, uh, the premier of Fury's there, um, the ministers are out there. I mean, man, we've been speaking to the folks in Port of Basque. Uh, I know your mom's out there and your family and mm-hmm. friends are there. Just give us an update on, on Timmy, how, how everybody's doing in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I think still in shock, I, I think, as the Premier said to you. I mean, don't forget the Premier um, uh, first started getting some notoriety in the country for his great work on disaster relief, and he went to Haiti after that great earthquake. And as, uh, as he said to you yesterday, um, the, the devastation was worse. Uh, and I think uh, in Port Basque, a town that sits on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, It's paid the price for that in the Mm. world in which we live, and people are in pain. But in true Newfoundland, um, Stripe and the same in the rest of Atlantic Canada, people are stepping up, they're looking to help, they're finding ways to raise money to help people get back their homes and begin to start life again. We are lucky we're a resilient people by the sea, uh, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador, but in Atlantic Canada and the parts of Quebec. So it's tough. Our family, fine. We're in St. John's, other part of the island. Uh, nothing really happened there, and they're they're very grateful. Mm. And thank you, Evan, for what you and, and everybody else is doing, telling the story, because uh, it's an important story about uh, what's happened now and what we need to do in the future, because we are vulnerable. Well, just uh, t- talk just about Atlantic what they Canada, need. But elsewhere. I, I know you got about 600 members of CAF out there. Uh, in the Atlantic provinces, uh, but, but what do folks need? Like, you know, I'm in close touch with a whole bunch of different friends and, and, and new friends, frankly, uh, who call in. It's amazing. You know, you talk to someone in Port of Basque, I'm like, how are you, Evan? I'm like, how are you? Like, you know, this is the generosity of, of Newfoundland. But, but like, what do people need right now? And in, what will they need in the long term, Tim? The, the best thing to do for people who want to help, who can help, is go to the Red Cross. Uh, the Red Cross, uh, as Tom and Zane yourself know, are fantastic. Unfortunately, it's a skill they developed at dealing with disaster zones. Uh, so if you want to help, people need everything, Evan, from you know their power coming back on to blankets to food supplies to, uh, to anything they can to get through all of this. So there are lots of fundraisers popping up, and that's a wonderful thing. And all of the money that I've seen that is going to be raised so far will be directed towards the Red Cross. So reach out to the Red Cross. They have uh, the ability uh, and the experience here. And uh, if you can, help please. Tom, look, their studies are out today about, you know, climate change, resilience, and um, no one wants to politicize people's pain like this. But look, look what's happening in Florida. These happen. No one's saying that they never happened before. They're worse now. Uh, I mean, I know there's a big debate right now about, and a legitimate one about inflation, 
You've got conservatives saying drop the carbon tax and right. give people relief. The liberals are saying, look, the carbon tax is not a contributor because we've got the rebate and the backstop where, where it's working. But also look at climate change and the, the mitigation we need. How, how do you exactly. calibrate those two? Okay, well, that's the key question, isn't it? You talked about mitigation, which is, of course, the, the battle to reduce the quantity of greenhouse gases that we emit. And that's got to continue. And that's what a carbon tax is about. It's putting a price on carbon, discouraging the use of the things that produce the greenhouse gases. That's the one, two, three. Canada has not done well. We signed the Paris Accord and we went on to have, and we still have the worst record in the G7. So all this is prospective. But you're right when you say that the plan that the Liberals have put in place, as, as it has to do, returns most of the money to families so that they don't get that, that big hit. The other part, of course, is adaptation. So Trudeau was on about that as he was visiting, and he's right. You have to rebuild your infrastructures in a different way. I mean, there are symbols of this thing. I mean, Tim, uh, you know, my heart goes out to all of your, your friends and families and acquaintances in Newfoundland and Labrador, because I think that despite the fact that, of course, Nova Scotia was pummeled by this thing, as was PEI, as were the Magdalen Islands, which are part of Quebec, mm-hmm. it's the image of the town you mentioned, Porto Basque. I've literally gobsmacked as you understand what a 40 to 60 foot uh, storm surge is because it ripped out the first row of houses right along the Atlantic. So there was a very clear image which must have come from a security camera a couple of streets back and it's terrifying when you see what that represents. So you're right Evan, storms have existed forever but the severity, the frequency, the types of storms and where they're going to hit is changing. So we've got to build back better. We've got to make sure, for example, some of our roads in provinces, the the big Gulf of St. Lawrence roads, the ones that go along the South Shore and the North Shore, they have to be brought in a couple of kilometers because there's so much erosion. There used to be one or two inches a year of erosion. Now there's five, 10 meters in, in some places per year of erosion. So you've got to start moving those roads. This is what we talk about when we say you've got to start adapting because so much of it is already in the pipe. We're not going to be able to stop these changes. No, and by the way, Zane, look at the pictures out of Florida, places like Fort Myers. They're flooding out. You get a 10-foot storm surge in Florida, you're into $100 billion, Like, the, the, I don't even know how, how they're going to survive this stuff. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I don't mean to be crass, but it becomes real when it becomes real, doesn't it? And I'd say coast to coast, all of us in some way, shape or form over the last half decade to decade have experienced mm-hmm. climate change becoming real. Uh, I sit here in Calgary where we've had our hundred year flood uh, happen one and a half times in the last decade. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we've all kind of felt it, you know, to extend on Tom's point, the politicization of this is fascinating because we have found ourselves in, in a situation where we're conflating what could be ineff- ineffective policy with carbon taxation. That's open to debate because, as you see, Joe Biden in the United States in his Inflation Reduction Act has not tacked on a carbon tax for his country. We can have that debate on what effective policy is, but we've conflated ineffective policy with inaction in some ways, which is that the carbon tax has become so uh, up front and center as the focal point that we've used it as the only measure on yay or nay. And really for the last half decade, I would say in this country have sidestepped really many of the other measures around incentives, rebates, et cetera, um, as being part of the conversation yeah. that both sides can get behind. And so we're in a very interesting moment right now between 
ineffective and inaction being conflated, and it hits you when it's real. Well, Tim, just to that point, I played this clip yesterday now from Rosemary Falk, a conservative. Like, this, to me, is not a serious thing, and I want to have a serious discussion. There's lots of other answers. This is not serious. Listen. What is it doing to prevent disasters? What has the liberal, the federally imposed liberal carbon tax, because I come from a province that it has been imposed on, done for the environment? How come it didn't prevent Hurricane Fiona? Where are those tax dollars going? What is it doing? How come? Nothing. How come it didn't prevent Hurricane Fiona? Like, these are, I, I like there's lots of things done. to say, but that's an embarrassment. Tim. Oh, utterly. I'd love her to walk into the what's left of Port of Basque or go to Cape Breton Islands or the Maggies, as Thomas talked about, and say that. And there are lots of people there who don't like the carbon tax, but wouldn't be uh, at all welcoming to that set of asinine comments that completely detached from the personal pain and angst all of these people are feeling right now. And she does no service to what we've just talked about, the real issues that we have to get to here about how we protect communities, build resilient infrastructure, because the climate is changing. It isn't just about a tax or no tax. Yeah, There's yeah. so much more that has to be done. Okay, gents, let me take a break. I want to talk about what's happening in Alberta and the guns debate. Uh, mm-hmm. Zane, I really want mm-hmm. you to get in on the Justice Minister Shandro and, and, and the RCMP's role in enforcing the gun ban, and maybe the threats, I, I, the, the disgusting threats to Pierre Polyev's wife. Uh, lots to talk about with the war room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the big show. The War Room is here. Zane Velji, Tom Mulcair, Tim Powers. Zane, let's start with you. What is going on here? So uh, Tyler Shandro, who is the justice minister in Alberta, has said, look, I know the liberals want to start this gun buyback program. We're not interested in it. We are going to oppose this. We asked uh, Minister Shandro um, to give us to join us. He didn't. Minister Mendicino uh, the uh, public safety minister sent sent us a statement saying this guy's got to enforce federal law. He can't challenge it. It's a stunt that he's going to say that we're going to try to not let the RCMP uh, um, maybe enforce the law. He's just sent us a statement. And do you mind if I read it, folks? This is from the justice minister of Alberta. He says, um, Alberta will seek to intervene in six ongoing judicial review applications challenging the constitutionality of the federal firearms prohibition. Second, Alberta has rejected the minister's request for provincial resources for their firearms buyback or confiscation program. Alberta is exercising existing authorities that we have as a province to identify the confiscation program as an activity that is not appropriate for the RCMP to be used. Should the federal government proceed with their plan, I will launch a formal dispute under the Provincial Police Service Agreement. Alberta has been informally advised that the commanding officer of Alberta's RCMP does not support the use of provincial resources to administer the federal government's confiscation program. If this is the case, neither the province nor the Alberta RCMP want police resources taken off the street to confiscate firearms. Like, and then he says that they're using the RCMP for political purposes. This is the law. What do you make of this, Zane? So, so a couple of things. First of all, there, I think there's three things going on here. Number one, this will sound... Very simple, but this is a constant through line in UCP politics. They'll do anything to have their win of the day to own the libs. So first of all, you got to understand that that's part of this. That's an underlying current. Number two, this is also about the province's 
desire to want an Alberta police force. You know, this this concept that a police force provincially uh, could enforce and choose what they want to uh, talk about, what they want to enforce or not from federal law. This is a teaser into that, no doubt. It's also normalizing Daniel Smith's Alberta Sovereignty Act. So when that thing, which happens, by the way, next Thursday and the inevitable to many becomes true, which Daniel Smith becomes the next leader of the UCP and the next premier, conversations, comments, statements like that, despite the legalese padding, Evan, try to normalize this as a, as a broader sentiment. So at the end of the day, this is about guns, but it's also not about guns. You know, this is really about uh, having the Alberta Justice Minister mm. Soften the ground for this conversation. If I can add one more point to this, and this is where it gets really personal for me, because let me be clear, this is not what Albertans are talking about. I say that as an Albertan. I don't say that as a campaign strategist or some progressive hack. If you could trust me as an Albertan for a second, the majority of us don't want a a police force that's provincial. The majority of us are happy with the RCMP. The majority of us support the gun buyback. The majority of us do not support the Alberta Sovereignty Act. So while Jason Kenney goes out there and says Alberta is calling and telling people in Toronto and Vancouver to move here, move here to what? If this is the headlines you're going to own. Uh, you are undermining your mm. own message to try to make Alberta an attractive place. And while we sit here as Albertans, you know, just pulling our hair out because this is not what we care about and this is not what we value and not what we're talking about. First of all, no one's called you a hack. I don't know why you were uh, <laughs> Let me go to uh, Tom, though, because you're – no, but, but, but listen, it's uh, – Tom, Max Fawcett, um, who's an Alberta journalist, uh, said to me on Power Play last night, this is Alberta's justice minister being, quote, sovereign curious on the cusp of... <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, which is good. On, on, on the, on the cusp... There awards for, for lines like that. That's a great award. He's sovereign curious on the cusp of, of what will be the next uh, premier. Um, right. what, what do you make of this and the legality of it as a lawyer, Tom? Well, as a lawyer from Quebec, where we have a Quebec provincial police, and in Ontario, where you are, there's an Ontario provincial police, and in Newfoundland, Labrador, there's the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. That's where Tim's from. It, it doesn't shock me. In fact, I think that it's high time that our national police force stop giving out traffic tickets in Surrey. I mean, it's not a national police force at that point. It's the world's biggest municipal force spread across the second largest country in the world. With regard to applying or not applying the law, enforcing, not enforcing, again, I'm a little bit more um, understanding of the arm wrestle that happens sometimes between provinces and the feds. The province of Quebec wanted to maintain the gun registry, and despite the fact that the federal government under Stephen Harper was convinced that the registry had been destroyed, turns out that somebody had maybe uh, had a Xerox copy somewhere because Quebec was able to keep that registry, and we still have the the long gun registry here in the province of Quebec. By the way, nobody complains about it because uh, it's really you know when you go hunting and you license your dog and you license your four by four and you license your truck and you license your boat, eh, you can license your gun. It's not that complicated, but you know, it, it was a big thing. And the, the conservatives made a lot of hay out of it and got, got very far ahead, mostly in the prairie provinces. All that to say that I think that Chandro is playing really uh, almost comical crass politics because he can say what he wants, but he cannot put words in the mouth of the commanding officer of the RCMP. I found that beneath mm-hmm. contempt because either the guy is going to speak or, yeah. or the woman, I don't know who it is, is going to speak for themselves. And be able to say what they want to say. But if they're going to say something like that, now it's obviously incumbent on Mendocino 
indeed Trudeau and probably Bill Blair to come out very rapidly and put the toothpaste back in the tube on that one. Because if they do have a commanding officer who's going rogue, rogue as to whether or not oh, yeah. they'll enforce certain provisions of federal law, then we've got a serious problem. Or leak of that. I know I just got a couple of minutes. Tim, you can, you can quickly weigh in on that. But if you don't mind, look, Pierre probably have had to tweet out that I mean, the, the, allega- the threats against his wife, a sexual assault on his wife, were so disgusting by this guy, Jeremy McKenzie, um, who is the founder of this so-called fictional, but, you know, uh, I, a lot of, some people call it an extremist group or a hate group. You pick, pick your group, Diagalon. Uh, but what he said was so disgusting and hateful. Um, but, of course, he's met Pierre Polyev. He showed up at his rally. He's tried to kind of be inside that halo. What do you make of that, that kind of weird, twisted intersection there? I'm not, by the way, this is not to blame the Polyevs at all yeah. for getting these threats. Well, let's separate that intersection, as you said. So speak to the threat. Uh, I think Pierre described it well, or described Jeremy McKenzie well. He's a dirtbag. Uh, and the language he used, which was a bit more salty and of the street, uh, I think fit. Uh, but clearly Mr. McKenzie didn't accept or understand that because he uh, says Pierre Polyev has uh, thin skin. That may be true, too. Hopefully the RCMP, in this case, uh, do find a way to bring forward criminal charges. On the other side of this, though, you're what you sow a little bit, right? Like, again, does not excuse the threat in any way. The threat is entirely unacceptable. But um, Pierre has played footsies or hand gripsies uh, with uh, with some of these people. Uh, so when they do something heinous, as they did in threatening his wife, it's going to lead to all these questions and comments. And uh, maybe it could give Pierre a pause for reflection to see what can actually happen and the kind of people you're keeping company with, at least, or you're trying to solicit uh, their support f- uh, for you um, when they do things like this, because it's, it's concerning. Uh, I don't think we want uh, a country mm. where Jeremy McKenzie's have more influence than they already do. Zane, I got a minute. I mean, this is the nature of modern uh, social media. You you can have a fringe perspective, find your cohort or your tribe or whatever yeah. you want to call yeah. it to, to validate that perspective. And then you use your group as the license to further validate and keep testing um, new thoughts, new messaging, new whatever. And no one's going to call you out on it. And then once it gets into the mainstream, you realize you're radically off and or the politicians in the mainstream have to stomach you. And, and this is exactly the moment we find ourselves in where small groups are building large communities based on um, self-regulation. And, and this is the, the danger. Uh, and to use one of Tom's words from last time, lining up your trolls. Well, guess what? This is exactly what happens. And sometimes you can't control the trolls when they have a, a, a group of them bigger than your campaign or bigger than your ideology or vision or the limits of it. Peter McKay once said to me before the race, you feed the beast, you'll end up in its belly. And yeah. and, and it, it, it may well be true. Um, we, By the way, there's just no place in society for that, uh, certainly for anybody in elected officials or, the, or their families. Uh, Tim, uh, our love and uh, thoughts to the folks in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, Zane and Tom, always great to have uh, both of you and all three of you on. Gents, thank you so much.